when it comes to your finances, you think you've done it all. You've saved, you've researched, and you've invested all that you can. Now it's time to take those investments to the next level by using the brand behind every great investor, Yahoo Finance. As America's number one finance destination, Yahoo Finance has everything you need, whether you're a seasoned trader or just dipping your toes into the market. Join the millions of investors who trust Yahoo Finance to guide them on their financial journey. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. From Vice Australia, this is Extremes with me, Julian Morgans. This is a show that explores the far ends of human experience, and today we're going to hear from a convicted bushfire arsonist who we're going to call David. Trigger warning for listeners, this episode contains references to sexual assault. My first bushfire, it was a warm day, I borrowed mum's car and uh, I drove out to the spot and I threw some matches on the ground. Uh, I had a packet of redhead matches and I used half the box, just flicking it around. I waited until there was flame there and then I drove away. When I left, the area that was burning wouldn't be any bigger than this table. Several hours after, it was several kilometres long. David was a 17-year-old firefighter when he was caught lighting bushfires along the southern New South Wales coast. Now, this was back in the 1980s, and awareness of arson was a whole lot less than it is today. David never went to jail. Instead, he just received a bunch of therapy to try to figure out what had gone wrong in his life. And today, we're going to ask David just that. How does a pretty shy young man turn into public enemy number one? We used to have a log fire in the house where I grew up and I'd be mesmerised by it in that I could watch it for hours and hours and just fascinated me how it burnt the logs and flickered and shimmered and it was like it was alive to me. And uh, I suppose that would have been my first thinking of fire as such. When I was 15, I actually joined the Volunteer Fire Brigade. That provided a bit more structure in my life. Uh, I felt I was being part of the community, like I'd help with their fundraising efforts, go down the street jingle the buckets, uh, I had a uniform so I looked the part. It was a sense of belonging, I suppose. I would see how it works in various 
environments and how to get a quick fire and how to do a smouldering slow fire and the easiest way to do a smouldering slow fire is to use a candle if you use a candle light it throw it out in the bush it's going to take a while for it to burn and you know what i tested it to see if it worked it did i also looked at how can i get a quick fire and you know what kerosene matches good combination for a quick fire Building up to the time I actually got caught, I don't know how many fires I lit. I really do not. 20, 30, could have been up to 50. I needed it in winter as well, but I couldn't get it. So with the frustration of not being able to do it, exploded in the spring and summer because I can now do it. It was like dormant action, dormant winter action summer. And what I then thought is that I now need to make sure that I get enough fix in summer to take me over winter because it's not going to happen in winter time. So I suppose the fires became more frequent uh, instead of once a week or once a couple of weeks it was every three days before i um, was caught nine days before my 18th birthday i'd actually had a hard week and two weeks before i actually lit the fire uh, there was a big discussion on a reduction burn that we were going to undertake in a couple of weeks and I thought well you know if I light a small fire here somebody will see it call the fire brigade and we'll have to go out and put it out sounds like a plan the area that I lit would have been about two tables when I left I was lighting fires in the areas that I knew needed burning. When I lit the fires, we would be called out to it. The fire brigade was here. I lived across the road. I was going to be the first one at the fire station every single time. And the first person had to unlock everything, open the roller doors, start all the trucks and get things ready to roll when the others turn up. Most probably a couple of hours later, the fire siren goes. And I knew exactly where we were going, even though the guys didn't know that I knew. It was my little secret. When I was caught, my captain actually come and 
saw me, he, his name was Don. He come and saw me and he said, you've been caught. I said, what? Doing what? Lighting fires. I said, oh, don't be stupid. Deny, deny, deny. And uh, he said, they've got you. They've got your mum's car. 17 years of age in the frame of mind that I was in, I couldn't care less what they did. I was going to deny it. He said, I'll explain to you how they caught you. He went through the process and explained how they caught me. The council was coming from Nelligan into Batemans Bay and they saw the smoke. They were radioing, saying that there is a fire here. As they were radioing, I come out of the bush track in Mum's car. They took Mum's number plate down and relayed it to the fire controller. And obviously they contacted the police and reverted that information back to Don, the captain of the fire brigade. And he said, I don't know who would have been driving that. He said, I'll go see them and I will take them down to the police station myself. I was taken to a back room and spent hours denying and talking to them and they said, we've got you. They actually ended up hitting me with phone books around the head and I said, I'll say whatever you want. I didn't want to be roughed up, I didn't want to be bashed. I admitted then and they said, okay. Once I was in mum's care, uh, she was beside herself. Uh, she said, why do you do it? What do you do? What's going on? And I said to mum, I said, I'm going to jail. That's what I've been told, I'm going to jail. And mum was just beside herself. She didn't know what to say or do. And she kept on shaking her head. Why? Why'd you do it? What were you thinking? And I ended up responding, I wasn't thinking. We're just going to pause here for one second, because if you're enjoying this podcast, you should really check out another from Vice Australia. This is called Violent Times, and it's hosted by my friend and colleague, Mahmoud Fazel. Mahmoud has run a really fascinating series of interviews with people who have witnessed and participated in violence. And he talks to them about their relationship with violence. Here's a quick preview here. With a box cutter, I think he was poked maybe 30, 40 times. The blade all the way out and all the way into this bloke. And this is peak hour at South Yarra Station and his face cut up as well. So there's scary dudes out there that just do not give a fuck. The day after this conversation with his mum, David decided to retaliate. He still had the keys to the fire station, so he went across the road, let himself in, and set the building on fire. 
So you've just been caught lighting bushfires and now you've gone and lit up the fire station. What was going through your mind? When I got caught, by the time we got to the police station, Don had told me that I'm not welcome anymore. Yeah, that hurt and that was hard. After I had seen the psychologist the following day, I simply just sat at the back of the fire station in the storeroom because I still had my key. I thought, oh, I'll light the last fire. And it was the fire station. There was a whole heap of newspapers uh, in the back storeroom and I had a lighter on me and I lit the stack of newspapers. And did you get caught for this? The police did come round and Don was with them. And he said, why'd you do it? I denied it. I didn't do it. Oh, we've got your fingerprints. I said, of course you've got my fingerprints. So after this had happened, did, did it come back for you? Did you get charged? Police basically said, well, we can't disprove that. So I actually wasn't charged for that fire. Now my solicitor, he said, you're going to jail. That were his words. And then met the psychologist and him and I talked for about three hours. And he said, you're likely to go to jail. I said, I don't, I won't cope in jail. I'm only a small guy. Scares me. Uh, It was about three months after that, the court case occurred there. I was actually fronted up at um, court. And the psychologist, uh, Graham, the psych nurse, and Fred from the Justice Department all recommended that I don't go to jail. They commented that I wouldn't cope with it emotionally or physically. Um, They saw a real threat that I'm likely to kill myself in there. Uh, They painted a reasonably bleak picture. And I suppose that's come from the talks that we've had over that three month period to determine whether or not I should go to jail. And really, that's what the magistrate was looking for. Do I send you to jail or not? And um, I'm thankful that he decided not to. However, I did have 250 hours community service. And um, I was court ordered to continue my counselling. And um, if I didn't turn up, they'd be back in court and we'd be going to jail. When it comes to your finances, you think you've done it all. You've saved, you've researched, and you've invested all that you can. Now it's time to take those investments to the next level by using the brand behind every great investor, Yahoo Finance. As America's number one finance destination, Yahoo Finance has everything you need, whether you're a seasoned trader or just dipping your toes into the market. Join the millions of investors who trust Yahoo Finance to guide them on their financial journey. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. So David never went to jail. Instead, he continued with counseling. 
and it soon emerged that actually his firelighting behavior was seated in something much deeper. It was a really traumatic experience from his childhood. So David, can you tell us what happened in your childhood? What, what was it that sent you down this path? When I was 12, uh, I had a major event happen in my life. And um, that was, I was raped by my best friend. So that occurred, and it happened on the 14th of February, which happens to be Valentine's Day. Hated 14th of February every year after that. So life changed considerably. I, I wasn't happy anymore. I didn't like anybody. I didn't like myself. And it was the worst day of my life. Valentine's Day, when it happened, was a very hot day. And we were actually at the local pool. Uh, that was my brother, my sister and myself. And I bumped into my best friend down there. He was with another friend of his. My friend was 16. Uh, he was a few years in front of me in high school. And that's where the people that I hung around in, he was in the group and that's how we met. He said, oh, how are you getting home? And I said... I'm going to walk. He said, oh, we can give you a lift. I thought, brilliant. I didn't have to walk home. Uh, and, like, we lived up a hill like this, so a lift home, woohoo. And um, the pool was about to close and we were getting organised to leave and uh, he, we get in the car and his friend uh, said, oh, I'm just going to go home, get some clothes. So he pulled up at the beach and they decided they were going to go for a swim. I said, I just want to go home. So I just stayed up on the sand dunes. I was watching them for a little while and I must have fell asleep because I didn't see them come out of the water. And um, I was laying face down and then uh, I felt something on me and it happened to be my friend's friend. He said, we'll get him, is all I heard. I had no idea what that meant, but very shortly I did. And his friend was the first to penetrate me and rape me. And I started screaming. And my friend, he uh, decided he was going to shut me up with his cock in my mouth. He wished he didn't do it because I'd be down hard. He cringed and yelped, uh, but by then, it was done. I was just crying. I had my swimmers torn off me. I had a towel, and that was about it. And what happened next? What did you do after that? Mum actually wasn't home at the time. She was over in South Australia with her sister. My sister was at Mum's best friend's. My brother was at his friend's and didn't know where Dad was. It took me about two hours to walk home and I was just crying and I was a mess. And by the time I got home, it would have been about eight o'clock at night and there was nobody there. I didn't have dinner, I just cried myself to sleep that night. So this was obviously a horrific event for David. 
This incident created all this rage and frustration, and it drove a lot of his behaviour during his teenage years. The next day, I thought of only revenge. I'm going to kill him, was my thought. <clears throat> and I went to his house and he wasn't there. Okay. And then his parents had a shop in town. So I went down to the shop. No, still wasn't there. Um, and I just got angry and angry and angry. And I thought, I'm just going to hurt him. How dare he? He has no right. It wasn't for about three days afterwards that I actually uh, saw him again. And um, he was with his mate, which I called Gregory. Um, and they come up to me and they were right here in my face. Don't you fucking tell anybody we're going to kill you otherwise. And I just... And mind you, they're one and a half times taller than I am. I'm only a short kid. And I'm just gobsmacked and dumbfounded this could happen. Did you ever end up telling anyone at all? I didn't think I had anybody I could speak to about it. It, it was horrible. It, it really was. And my... I suppose happy self died that day. Mum was tearing her out because she couldn't fathom what had gone on. And I wouldn't talk to her. I was angry all the time. And it, it was a dark place. David just wasn't the same after that. The event really changed how he saw himself as well as the world around him. So how did this lead you to actually start lighting fires? Well, I, I suppose it was being angry uh, because it, from that point, I'd lived with it for five years. I still haven't told a soul about it, but my demure certainly changed from happy-go-lucky, you'll do anything for anybody to narcissistic, dark, and fly off the handle at the drop of a hat. I, I wasn't a nice person. Did I think that I would use it? Not then and there. But as I progressed with my anger, um, it almost destroyed me and I thought how can I get back at society for making this happen to me why me syndrome uh, I don't deserve it why should I cop it uh, I didn't do anything wrong and I suppose I lashed out in that I was angry, but I wasn't sure where to put that anger. So I blamed everybody. Obviously, lighting bushfires is a pretty t 
terrible way of venting frustration. I mean, did your fires ever burn down houses or kill anyone? To my knowledge, none of the fires that I lit destroyed houses or property or injured anybody, any human. Possibly animals. Would you say that you're a criminal? Are you a bad person? Do I think I belong, belonged in jail? Hell no. In the court's eyes, yes. In my eyes, no. Not in my eyes, no. Other people may think so because of my past and what I've done. And even people watching this, they may think, he's a monster. But the person who counts the most is me. What is it that I think? How do I live with me? And right now, I'm in a happy place. Can I get into that dark side that I was over 26 years ago? It's going to take a lot for me to get there because I've got coping mechanisms now to help me. I talk to people a lot more these days. I speak with my mum, I speak with my brother and sister, and I've got a support mechanism behind me. Since you were caught, have you ever been tempted to light another fire? I saw the whole thing as a cry for help. And when I got caught, that help was forced upon me. It was part of not going to jail, is that I had to go to my counselling sessions. Now, they didn't say I had to speak in those counselling sessions. And if you weren't caught, do you think you would have kept on lighting fires? That's an interesting question. And um, I'm not sure to be truthful because I feel that we're all going on paths in our lives. At various points along those paths, we have decisions to make. Do we go left, do we go right, or do we continue forward? And if I wasn't caught, the path I was on was a destructive path. And it, it frightens me a little to think that I didn't get the help I needed. And where would have it, would have I gone to drugs and alcohol and all of that as well? Do you think you'd have survived? No. I don't, actually. It was an intervention. Do you regret everything that happened? It might surprise you. I actually don't regret anything. And that's because... At the time it all occurred, I wasn't in a good place. People use... Um, situations and um, events in their lives to either move them forward, sideways or backwards. When I got caught and I knew I wasn't going to jail, 
it was an opportunity for me to go, this is the path I'm on, but I can actually jump paths and do this one. Then starting to love me, starting to care for me, and had I continued on that path there, life would have ended. It, it wouldn't have survived, I don't think. And that's because of where I was and where I was heading. It, it wasn't a life. So all these years later, how would you like to see society deal with arsonists? I'd like to get into a position where we can get to the arsonists before they become arsonists. As a society, helping mental health people and people who've gone through trauma and, and people who have gone through trauma don't feel that they can't talk to anybody, that there is mechanisms out there to help and uh, that those people within those mechanisms um, aren't there to judge, aren't there to criticise. They're there to help. They're there to help you make sense of what's going on. I'm thankful that I was able to get that help and I didn't have to go to jail for that help. But I suppose prevention's better than cure. If, if people are more vigilant on those around them, mental health can be diagnosed quicker. In, instead of taking seven years in my case, it um, could have happened in weeks or even months. I, I may not have got to the stage where I got to. And with the right intervention, we wouldn't be having this conversation today. David, thank you so much for sharing this really delicate story. I mean, I know that it really probably wasn't easy for you a lot of the time, so just a big thanks. Thanks for listening to this episode of Extremes. If you are interested in hearing some more, just go over to vice.com or iTunes. This episode of Extremes was hosted by me, Julian Morgans. It was produced by Anu Hasbold, edited and mixed and mastered by Jeff O'Connor. Our series producer is Katie Roberts, and our post-production coordinator is Pia Caridi. When it comes to your finances, you think you've done it all. You've saved, you've researched, and you've invested all that you can. Now it's time to take those investments to the next level by using the brand behind every great investor, Yahoo Finance. As America's number one finance destination, Yahoo Finance has everything you need, whether you're a seasoned trader or just dipping your toes into the market. Join the millions of investors who trust Yahoo Finance to guide them on their financial journey. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination.
yahoofinance.com.